their Pantone, the existence of their Pantone makes me want to puke. Like it just, you never know, like the way it prints, the way it's embroidered, the way it just always looks different. Boy, do we have an episode for you guys. Uh, this one's really exciting. Whitney Banson, she, I, I'm not sure if there's a, a better word than just business beast to describe. Um, Whitney runs We Are the Wild Collective, and it's a brand new take on professionally licensed uh, apparel, cut and sew type of material, just all this really cool stuff that's more appealing to younger base and, and just different than the usual sports apparel that's put out. Anyway, Wit's going through it. She's got an incredibly fast-growing business, and she's she's scaling so fast. And uh, I had just a great conversation about that, some of the mistakes she's made, and then where she's taking the business. But real quick, before we dive into the episode, you guys know we've got four incredible sponsors that are a part of this program and really help us to put it on every single week. So thank you to you guys. First up, Multicraft. Daddy. So if you've been to Instagram and you open multicraft underscore daddy, you can send him a DM and every week he's sending out PMI tape. And uh, actually the team over at PMI tape sent a couple tape rolls and I've got a couple more left here. So send me an email if you want to try that stuff. Um, it's uh, it's really great for your shop to be able to use. Um, Bruce at printable.com. But multicraft Screen printing and digital supplies for over 50 years. They've been providing the industry with top brands at competitive pricing. And so if you mentioned the pod, you guys get 10% off your first order. And um, look, we appreciate that. Multicraft has been an awesome sponsor of the podcast and uh, uh, a really good partner of the industry and so many shops as well. Supercolor. Supercolor is the world's best heat transfer. It's made for screen printers by screen printers. They truly understand the pressures and expectations of running a shop, and that's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. They've really come through to help Campus Inc. They've come through to help my wife's business, and so really appreciate that. Supercolor helps you make it. Make sure to mention Printavo15, and that gets you 15% off your order. That's Supercolor. Easy way. You shouldn't be spending all day cleaning dirty screens and you know it. Easy Way's line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently, and cost you the fraction of the cost per screen. 701 and 842 are campusing's favorite Easy Way chemicals to clean up dirty screens. And not just that, but they're also another partner for you. You know, the how-tos, the best practices, the questions, Easy Way's team is there. They work with 100 plus distributors and uh you know, they're your partner in success. Graphic source, last but not least, if you need a solution to improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department, GraphX source offers industry-leading outsourcing options to be able to help your shop. Mention Printavo Pod 24. That gets you 50% off your first vector set or digitizing order. That's Printavo Pod 24. Graphic source handles SEPs, mockups, creative art, order management, digitizing, all that good back office admin stuff. And they've been around for 30 plus years. So it's Printable Pod 2-4. All right, let's jump on into the episode. I haven't met yet. This is crazy. Like we play in the same space and the stuff you do is insane. 
We should. Oh, Bruce is recording already. Uh, yeah, we're live. We we always like to just click record because the best conversations come out at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um. So, what you're based out of? You're in Vegas, right? Yeah. Gotcha. And I guess what Bruce, y'all connected on LinkedIn. Yeah. So, I mean, so JP Hunt over at Inksoft was like, "Hey, you got to chat with Wit." Um, she's doing some really cool stuff. He's a big Phoenix Suns fans. And I think that's probably how he saw your stuff. If you go to, uh, if you go Whitney Banson on LinkedIn, I think that's where, that's where I was getting really impressed by what's going on here. So there's like taking the, and you're gonna have to correct everything I'm saying to make it better, but <laughs> taking the sort of old school designs of NFL, NBA, you know, um, NFL, NHL, MLB, all of the pro leagues and just making them really cool. I mean, just like modernized kind of streetwear vibe, um, different cuts, uh, just totally unique compared to what people can get now. And then on top of that, I saw these really uh, big partnerships with looks like Fanatics and, um, you know, retail uh, in the stadiums. And then, you know, we had to reschedule and you're like, yeah, I'm going to the game tonight. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I mean, what's plugged in here. And so there's a lot there. The, the, the photography is so professional. It's clearly the business is, is really growing and we were just excited to dive in and, and learn a lot more. So first of all, hats off for being able to do this for, it seems like almost 10 years in growing this business. And we're pumped to have you here. Actually, it has not been 10 years. It has been almost four. Wow. Wait, that's it? Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a very fast moving train. So I've, uh, I've had the, I've been in apparel for about seven and a half years, um, about eight. Um, I actually started uh, getting into apparel right before I was pregnant with my daughter. So my daughter's about to turn nine. So yeah, we're right around like the four year uh, mark. There was a little COVID in there. So I'm sure. So there's, there's a, there's a few uh, months that I think are unaccounted for um, in terms of COVID, but uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been very fast moving since the beginning. Um, so it's, it's been a labor of love, but definitely has been a, a roller coaster. So that's awesome. With, like, we and it's we are the wild co on Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. You're big into the licensing space, and yes. um, we play in the licensing space in NIL, and then in the Greek space. Uh, the licensing space is really hard to break into. It's not like anyone can just put you know Ohio State Buckeyes on a denim jacket and start selling it. Um, there are like barriers you have to jump through, hoops you have to cr like all this stuff. How did you break into the licensing space? Like, can you tell us that like early, early part of, of what you did? Yeah. So our initial, you know, realm into licensing actually came by way of the Golden Knights. So we are based in Vegas. We did not have any professional sports teams here um, at the time. And then we got a pro hockey league. And uh, that really catapulted our brand um, into the space. And it wasn't even a space I was really looking to, you know, dive deep into that I was, you know, thought was going to turn into this, uh, you know, what it is today. Like, I, I had no clue the path that this would take me on. Um, but really, 
I had friends going to the games. They were showing me like what they were wearing. And I was like, wait, what, what is this? Like, that's it. Like the, this, this seems like something you would want to put a little more effort into, you know, make, you know, wear a cool jacket. Um, and there really wasn't a lot of great product, um, in the space in terms of fashion forward, more on the streetwear side, lifestyle stuff that you could wear, not just to a game. I felt like a lot of it was like you wear it to a game and that's kind of it. Like that's where it lives. And I felt like there was such a missed opportunity in the space to really go after more of those fashion forward products and offer consumers better options to wear to games. And, so, and so did you already, were you already doing custom cut and sew overseas? Like, did you already have experience there? And then you like yeah. had your first in, yeah. Like tell us how you got into like overseas manufacturing. And when everyone goes on this Instagram, like, they're very elaborate pieces. These are not yeah, easy pieces to <laughs> manufacture really cool. whatsoever. How did you actually get your leg into like the custom part of it? We were actually doing a lot of custom cut and sew pieces for the hotels on the strip. So like Caesars Entertainment, MGM, it kind of led us down this path of like, well, what could we do for them that would complement their Golden Knights merchandise? So like they had hockey jerseys, they had you know, the, the t-shirts with the prints on them, but how could we create more unique pieces that they could then merchandise next to the jerseys and the tees and so forth to really create more of like a, a collection, right? Because they were finding that their consumer and their, their customer was looking for more elaborate pieces. They didn't just want a t-shirt. They wanted, you know, a really cool gold jacket to wear to the game. So we actually started creating products that had no logos on them whatsoever. So we created this like gold sequin jacket that kind of took off in Vegas and became a thing. You would go to a Knights game and you just see gold sequin jackets everywhere. And those were our jackets. And so that was really like the first moment for us where we were like, okay, this is a thing. We should definitely like explore this more. And we ended up approaching the Golden Knights and did a really amazing collection for them right out the gate. And it was that first initial collection that really, you know, catapulted us into the industry. I think a lot of other teams in the leagues started kind of reaching out like, hey, like we saw what you're doing for the Golden Knights. Can you do that for us? Like we want product like that. And so sure enough, it, you know, spread like wildfire and we were able to start locking up licenses um, across the various leagues. Obviously, we did have COVID in there. So we did have some downtime where we, you know, had to shift a bit um, until everything was back up and running. But once the world kind of came back from COVID, we were able to just hit the ground running and had this amazing you know, vision of where we could take the brand. And so um, even like you were mentioning Ohio State, Ohio State came to us. We wow. weren't seeking Ohio State. We weren't we weren't looking to jump into college. That wasn't even, to be honest with you, it wasn't even on our radar. Um, we were so honed in on major league um, that we, it just wasn't something we were really thinking about. So we were in these unique opportunities where a lot of these, um, you know, licensed entities started coming to us requesting product because 
they had seen us do something for someone else or they had seen us do something for a different league. And so we just got really lucky that what we were doing in the space was so unique. It was garnering a lot of attention. And so everyone kind of understands the way like licensing works in the pro leagues. There's like the NBA, NFL, NHL, like players association, like you have to go and like get approved. But Mm -hmm. unless you have something super special to offer, they're not just going to approve you. Right. And so what I'm hearing is you kind of created this white space out of something that didn't exist. Right. And if you, you know, uh, if you want to get into licensing now, the barriers to entry are so high because the market's saturated with all the typical stuff. So you really had to go in with an angle, um, which is like really, really interesting because we're, we're in the licensing space and it's like a never ending battle. I'm curious, like, what about, you actually talking to manufacturers, like how did you get experience talking to people in Bangladesh and Pakistan and China and like bringing product in and like, that's like another world over there. How did you get good at that? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I think it's an, it's an ever evolving learning process. I think that in the beginning, honestly, I had no choice but to just you know, bootstrap it and kind of figure it out. Um, We made a lot of mistakes. We, you know, didn't ask certain questions. Maybe we should have been asking. But I think in those moments are kind of where you learn and where you grow and you um, get better. So the learning process was definitely, um, it was a learning curve for sure. But now the way that, you know, we've developed the brand, my husband actually came on board with us full time about a year and a half ago now. And he's actually kind of taken on a huge role in the sourcing area of the company. And honestly, you just immerse yourself in it and throw yourself in it. And that's, I mean, he's literally went from being a director of corporate sales to, sourcing and working with these factories and and understanding the language and how to um how to articulate certain things our big thing was always like showing images showing photos um being as detailed as possible so that the factories understood what it is we were looking for what it is we wanted um we just became very detailed and that definitely helped us along the path but we just were great we're, we were lucky that we found great partners um you know, in the journey. And we had a sourcing partner that we were working with. So they, you know, helped us out a lot in the beginning and, you know, helped spearhead some of the, some of the stuff that like, we just honestly had no clue about, but now we do feel like we're in a position where, you know, we've learned so much that, you know, sky's the limit on where we can kind of take the brand and, and how we can build it from here. Um, I think in a short amount of time, we've been able to really, build that foundation for, you know, being one of the top brands in the space. I mean, we, we now are that brand. Like when you go into some of these stadiums, it's Nike and then it's the wild collective. So to even be in that space is crazy. Even like I'm looking at a lot of the pearl. I mean, there's a lot of details here. Um, I mean, you get embroidery and screen printing and, um, uh, you know, uh, patches and, and like literally sewn in to fabric sublimation, all this stuff. I'm assuming you're like, even now, is it, you know, your, your team is designers and it's working on, and, and then it's like working with the manufacturers of, Hey, this is what it's supposed to look like and everything. And then they're sending, 
samples back that way. And you guys are just like design and marketing, you know, geniuses on your end. Well, it's, I mean, I'm not going to lie. We get samples in every day to the point where at some days, like we could get 14 samples in, 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 in one day. And all those samples have to be looked through. They have to be specked out. We got to go through all the, you know, colors and Pantones and embroidery <laughs> stitches and, and, and where is the logo positioned and is it in the correct spot and all of the things. I mean, it's definitely a big undertaking, especially taking on, you know, an entire league when there's say 32 teams and you're doing product for 30 of them. Right. Um, it, it, it's, it's definitely a process. I mean, it, it's, but you've got to have but a design the, team, though, the, right? Like, who's the creative genius like behind a, it? Yeah, right. who's the creative genius? Is that you? Um, so I, yeah, I definitely spearhead the brand in terms of where I believe we need to position ourselves, the trends we need to be following, the trends I don't want to follow. Um, we really are honed in on making sure that if you walk in a stadium and you see our product, we want to make sure that it looks very different than any of the product in the store. So, you know, perfect example of that is we created a whole collection for the um, Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix. And there were all these pieces that we created were custom pieces we did for the Grand Prix. So they had the Grand Prix logo on them. Um, we had people reaching out to us across the board everyone knew it was wild collective. Everyone knew it was us who was behind it because we've developed this aesthetic within the industry. Right. Um, and they've seen similar pieces around. So, you know, we were getting, up. how can I get this jacket? Where can I find this? And, you know, our pieces are, are worn by a lot of celebrities, a lot of influencers. So you start to see that like kind of spread throughout social media. And so, you know, we, we kind of pride ourselves on being that unique touch point for the consumer in terms of creating a more like elevated curated product. Gotcha. So then, okay, let's talk about like the distribution of it. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you create this whole collection, call it for like the NHL. You have all these mm -hmm. lookbooks, samples, right? There's a licensing tailgate trade show in January, right? Or I don't know mm -hmm. if y'all are going to be there or not. The buyers yeah, we will. Yes, absolutely. We'll be there too. Um, the buyers will come from all these teams, right? Or these different retail stores and they'll start placing their POs. How mm -hmm. far in advance, like, are they placing POs for next fall? Like, what's the typical turn time of how this is working? Because this is like different from our space where we just turn shirts in five to seven business days. Right. So uh, we typically work you know, nine months roughly. Um, so we are taking orders right now for fall 24. By the time tailgate hits in end of January, we've pretty much baked in most of our orders for fall 24. At that point, it's just lingering stuff that needs to kind of be wrapped up. Um, so we like to have everything finalized, ready to go by the end of January because Chinese New Year hits. It gives us time to really like hone in, get everything dialed in and situated. And then that way, when China opens back up, any orders that are going over to our China factories, those are ready to go, ready to be placed. Um, so tailgate is a little bit more of wrap up for us, um, really December. So right now, this time frame is when we're starting to see all the POs starting to flow in for um, fall 24. But we're typically nine months, but we do do a lot of fast, quick turn stuff. So like, 
you know, there's a Bulls sweater that we just did for them. Um, and the factory turned it in like three and a half, four weeks. Wow. So we do have some quicker turns on some pieces. Um, and depending what it is we're doing, we'll air in product if we need to. We'll do whatever we got to do. But minimums, right? Like when a buyer's coming to buy, they're basically buying for their whole season, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're like, what is a typical minimum that you would, you know, is it like in the thousands, hundreds? Like, so we not- typically do, we typically do like 144s to 300 on most pieces. So mm-hmm. just depending what it is, if we have to like custom dye something or if it's a special fabric, anything like that. But I mean, we're pretty, we try and keep the minimums low in the sense where we're able to offer these curated exclusive pieces. Um, Cause a lot of teams, there are a lot of teams out there that, you know, need to hit a smaller min to, in order for them to like right. build out a collection. Um, you have some teams obviously that you don't have any issues with like, the Houston Astros are a perfect example. Houston Astros, I'm never worried about. They could order a trash bag and put the Astros on it and it'll sell out. Like that <laughs> is just the brand yeah. of the Houston Astros. Um, but, you know, not every team um, has that that luxury. But definitely, you know, you have those top teams that, you know, they can they can put anything on anything and, and it sells. It, it feels like you got pulled because of your unique stance in like creating that blue ocean. You really got pulled into this space and didn't have to go out and do like business dev team to team to team. Um, I mean, like if that's right, then how, how does your business structure work now behind the scenes? Like, is it an account manager to one team, a designer with one team, or is it like, you, you know, you're spread out across? Cause this, I mean, there's so many teams across all of these leagues. Uh, like how does that all roll up to you? So as the CEO, I touch everything. So I'm involved in every conversation I'm involved. I see every PO I'm involved in payables and receivables and all the things. So I, I touch every aspect of the company And a lot of the relationships with a lot of these teams um, are actually very direct. So like, you know, if the Miami Dolphins need something, they call my cell phone, right? Like the Knicks need something, they're texting me, hey, wait, we need this. Um, We have a lot of direct relationships that have allowed us to really build and grow the brand. And they have put a lot of trust in us to deliver. They know that like, if I say I'm going to get it there on time, it's going to get there. They know the quality and what they're getting from our brand. So especially when last minute stuff happens, we are typically most teams first phone call. So yeah, if I'm hearing correctly too, there's like no, like you are the, I mean, I see one person, I'm looking at the LinkedIn people side. It's like one person's a production manager and another person maybe, uh, oh no, that's a different company. So it's like it, very yeah, profitable, so we're, we're, just, uh, you know, you, you're doing everything. I'm not doing everything. Um, we have a, a head designer. His name is Jason. Um, he's amazing. He does everything you've ever seen from us is pretty much Jason. He is a mastermind when it comes to design. He hand sketches all of our graphics and everything. He's just amazing. I've told him a million times he's never leaving me. I don't think I would ever (laughs) let him leave. Um, I also don't want anyone to know about him because I don't want anyone to try and poach him. Um, We'll bleep out out his name. Yeah. Yeah. But we, uh, we, we have a great relationship. We've been working together, you know, a long time now and there's a lot of trust built there. So I can easily say to him, 
But like, I guess so I'm like, so there's, so yeah. there's myself, there's Jason. Um, my husband, husband is the CEO of the company. Um, and then we have Kristen, who is our production uh, manager. And then we have Kelly, who is our director of operations. And then we also have Hannah. Um, she has recently come on board um, and is actually moving to Vegas. So that's very exciting for us. Um, and she's handling like all things like production and design and tech packs and all the things. Um, and then we have a lot of independent contractors. So we have a full social team that's all independent. I have um, someone who does all of our ad buys. That's all independent. So like we are a small team, but we have a large network of gotcha. people that are intertwined with brands. So, so you keep your team tight, but you rely on agencies to help you with your social mm-hmm. with now, what about like the the sales network? There are a lot of companies in the licensing space and licensing is super old school. Like there's independent reps, right? That like carry different brands. Do you use reps that carry or do you go direct to retailers? I absolutely do not use reps. Okay. Riff on this for a second. I don't believe in it. I don't believe that someone who is selling, so say, say you're the Knicks. Mm-hmm. And I'm a sales rep and I'm selling you socks and I'm selling you a bobblehead. And then I come to you and I'm selling you a fashion forward streetwear collection. Gotcha. So it just like make sense another category. Yeah. And so, the- yeah, and, it, and, and too, like not to say that there aren't reps that just strictly, you know, do apparel cause there are, but it's just not a model I've really believed in from, from day one. I think, the model that makes the most sense for our brand is very much that direct relationship and sales needs to come from our internal team. No one can speak about the brand better than someone who works for the brand. Yeah. We've been approached by, we've been approached by independent reps to sell our program or sell our stuff. Um, And so the way we work with retailers and, and companies like you is, uh, not companies like you, but like companies like uh, Fanatics or something like that is we carry the athletes merchandise. And so if the retailers want to sell it in their stores, most of the time they have to go through us. Um, and so like the two athletes, the the two girls at LSU, um, we carry all their stuff. We have, you know, uh, them signed. And so if a store at LSU wants to sell Flage and Angel Reese stuff, they have to wholesale it through us. But we have built our own internal sales team for that same exact reason with like, there's so much mechanics behind it that like, I wouldn't, and a rep is splitting time, splitting your time with someone else. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm with you there, but are your customers more, so maybe you want to explain to listeners how team shops work in pro leagues. Like, is it fanatics buying from you? Can you maybe talk about a little bit of how those relationships all work? Because a lot of people don't quite know that. Yeah, I mean, it's and every league is very different, right? right? So like you have some leagues that are very heavy in one business model and then other leagues that are sporadic. So like if you're talking about the NFL, for instance, you know, NFL shop is controlled by Fanatics. So you would do all your orders through Fanatics and their e-com buying department. Um, but then they also run, I don't know what percentage of the league they run now, but in I venue. mean, I think, yeah, in venue, they're running 
12 teams, 10, 12 teams. Um, and then you also have some teams ran by a concessionaire. So you'll have Delaware North, you'll have Aramark. Um, you'll also have uh, teams that are ran by their own internal teams. So for instance, the Raiders, they have their own retail team that does all their buying. Um, same with, uh, who's another team that has their own retail buying? Um, the Packers, another example, like we they have like their them. own, their own <laughs> retail team. So there's a lot of different mixes in play, um, in terms of when you're getting product into stadium, who's the purchaser, right? It could be a fanatics. It could be, um, an Aramark or Delaware North, or it could be the team directly. Um, so it's a very unique landscape depending on what league it is. Um, but typically, you know, you'll go directly to, um, those buying teams, whether it is on Fanatics side and they, though that Fanatics buyer might have seven teams under their, their, um, direction, right? So you could work with that one buyer on seven different teams. Um, so it's, it, it definitely fluctuates between what league you're talking the, about. The good news is, and you know, we deal with this a little bit is, once you get into a buyer, if they want to distribute your product in their other properties too, right? And yeah. so if you sold into the Golden Knights, then maybe the Golden Knights e-commerce is run by another company. They're like, wait, we want right. that jacket. Wait, by the way, I run eight other NHL teams. Can we get this? So it kind of like, yeah. there's a kind of a, a ripple effect. Um, which allows, which I think allows us to operate without needing a sales rep too, because like you can kind of hit one buyer and, and lock up seven teams and then move on to the next. And that buyer maybe has four teams. And then, you know, by the time you've hit a couple of these people, you're typically like 70% of that league you kind of have covered. Um, plus depending on your channels you have to sell to, right? So like every licensing deal is different and you have different distributions. So the distribution channels I have for MLB, are completely different than I have for NFL are completely different than I have for NBA. So there, there is product that I can do for certain leagues that I can't do for others. So you talked a little bit about channels and there's different channels. So there's like retail versus wholesale versus, you know, online. What are your biggest channels? Our biggest channels right now was definitely like, obviously fanatics e-com so like if you're doing shop nhl shop nfl shop nba there's a plethora of wild collective um available so fanatics is one of our large um scale retailers that we work with we do a lot of product with dick sporting goods we're launching product in a lot of their house of sports locations um so that's also exciting they're launching that new concept and they have quite a few stores they're going to be opening so that um that will be big for us we sell into Shields, um, which is another um, sporting good specialty store. We are launched on Free People. So that's a new channel for us um, that we're launching a lot of new product on, um, which is super exciting because it's, you know, being able to really hone in on that female consumer. Is, and is when really you say launch on, are you drop shipping for them? No. or So you are sending to their fulfillment centers? Yes. Gotcha. How yes. much... Like I see online that you can buy direct. Yep. That means you're forecasting your own sales, bringing in your own product, taking your own risk. How much of your sales comes from that channel? 
Um, our e-commerce site probably is about 20% of our sales currently, um, and that will continue to grow. We're definitely putting a lot behind our e-com and, and creating a very unique space for the consumer to come and, and find curated product. We also will start to carry product on our website that you can't find anywhere else. So we will be mm. able to offer some more exclusive pieces that aren't even in the stadium or aren't online anywhere else. Um, that way we're really driving that, um, that purchase touch point. Gotcha. Cause it's, you know, um, when you start selling direct and wholesale, you are, you almost, you're taking your own risk, right? It's easy to do wholesale because they place the POs, you deliver them. Once you start selling direct, now it's about buying ads. Now it's about clicks. Now it's about sell through rates, right? Did yeah. you start selling direct and then go to wholesale or did wholesale come first and then direct? Wholesale definitely came first and then direct to consumer followed. Um, I think every brand really needs a direct to consumer um, at some level, right? Like I think it's important for a consumer to be able to go into stadium, see product, and then be able to also see it online or shop another team online. Like you need to be able to direct these consumers um, to various ways to interact with your brand. I think that's really important. It's a big challenge D2C is. Um, I think anyone who has a D2C knows like there's a lot that goes into it, but I think it's definitely something that our brand is very honed and focused on and going into next year, it's, it's definitely going to be a very big uh, moment for us to be able to interact with our consumers in a very exclusive way and have them, you know, dive deeper into the brand um, and, and become a consumer and, and really continue to come to us for that licensed product. It's interesting because uh, you're right. If you dial up the ads of which there are so many people that enjoy sports in different, you know, the leagues and so on and so on, you're off to the races. I mean, is that like kind of how you view it as, okay, it's an ad spend problem and, and, and getting ready for that while balancing the wholesale. And now it's time and we have the, the team to be able to do it. Um, I think, yeah, there's, there's a mixture of ad spend, figuring out obviously what ads hit, what ads don't, what, how you're really honing in on how you're engaging that consumer, what's working, what's not. So there's a lot of like testing, um, going on to determine, you know, what works the best. Um, ad spend dollars, of course, and then obviously holding inventory, right? Like you're not going to do, you know, a couple million in, um, in e-com sales if you don't have enough product, right? You have to be able to carry enough product to then, you know, sell millions of dollars worth of product. So, you know, holding on to the inventory, that's always, always a risk. I think any business, um, you know, struggles with that. I think for us, our big thing has always been like, slow and steady. Like we're never trying to put ourselves in a compromised situation. We're never trying to have too much inventory where we know we can't move it. Um, so we've been very cautious because there are a lot of brands in the space that in, in apparel in general, that will just completely, you know, go bankrupt or completely, you know, put themselves in a really bad position. I, I just talked to a company in the licensing space that is sitting on 25,000 pieces of finished unsold licensed stuff for different like NBA teams. And it was just 
them forecasting wrong, bringing in positions, getting too aggressive. I think you said something there that was very, there's like a lot of wisdom is like, we don't put ourselves in a compromised position. Us screen printers are weaklings because we only print when people order (laughs) and we have to get the shirts tomorrow. Like you are definitely gambling a little bit, but even then you're still thinking about it from a pretty responsible way. Do you, when, when you started getting into D to C, like, did you have any experts kind of helping you on like, Hey, this is how to forecast it. This is how much to bring in because like next thing you know, you could be sitting on a warehouse. Steven, by the way, Wit has gone through the warehousing in-house through PL in-house hybrid. I mean, he could be your advisor. (laughs) Money saved. We've we've done all the things in terms of warehousing. Um, Obviously three PLs are, a lot that it's a lot of moving parts. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, to answer your question on, um, you know, these inventory positions and so forth, we never, honestly, we never consulted with anyone. Um, it was just us trying to be smart about how we ordered. So we switched our model a bit. Um, I think the, not this year, but the year before our model was very different. We were kind of more honed in on top teams. Um, whereas the model we've shifted into is more carrying a ton of product across a lot of teams. So instead of going super deep into X, Y, Z, we've broadened it so that, you know, the consumer who is looking for, um, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, is a perfect example. We brought in a couple pieces for them this season on our site and they've all sold out and not something I would have expected. Like I would, I would have expected, um, maybe the Bengals product to sell out first, right. Or like one of these other top teams. But I think too, some of these teams are maybe a little underserved. And so because of that, you're seeing that uptick of people wanting good product because, Maybe they're not there. They feel like there's not enough product out there. So I think broadening across a lot of teams has been our um, our strength this year. I someone gave me some advice once that says you'd rather be sold out of a product than be sitting on a ton of it. And I was just 100%. like, I was like, hmm, because when you're sold out, you've collected all your money and you can go buy more. And when you're sitting on it, yes. you're just you're just sitting on on nothing. Um, yes. That's really, 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 really interesting. Have you, um, do you sell on Amazon at all? Have you ever dabbled in that space or are you like, we're kind of too high on? um, we actually do sell some college product on Amazon. We have, um, we do have some Ohio state product on there. Um, and we're kind of working through what that looks like, um, in terms of, um, moving forward. I know, um, Amazon has launched a, uh, fan shop now they're like really going hardcore into um into sports so it's definitely something we see in the future um but at the moment um it's something we're just kind of like building upon yeah we're starting to mess with it it's the wild west it's nuts it's, how they it's definitely the wild west um, what are you selling okay and i stuff i can't disclose right now bruce i'm sorry um bruce just likes to dig it yeah because then fanatics will get mad or something. Uh, sorry, fanatics. Um, what mistakes have you made? Like you've definitely paved this route, like road for yourself. But where where are your like 
battle wounds a little bit. Could you tell us any? Mm. Or would that be a whole nother episode? <laughs> <laughs> um, battle wounds. Um, I think my biggest thing in general has just always been like, I've kind of been that person who like, I can do it all. I'm like a lone wolf in that, in that aspect. Um, so there were a couple years there where it was really just like me and Jason pretty hunkered down. And I think I probably took on way too much. Like there were, there were a couple years there where it was quite a, it was quite intense. Um, amount of pressure. Um, so I think my biggest thing that I've learned is just like really like asking for help when I need it, knowing when, you know, I need to cut things off or I need to take a break or I'm not going to get to those emails tonight because I just need a mental shutdown. Um, I think mental health is the biggest thing. I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned across this journey is, um, just understanding, my state of being and like being vocal about it. So like being vocal to my team, being vocal to my husband, being vocal to my family, um, about like running a business of this size and this scale, um, and us being on our growth stage right now, like it's a, it's a lot and it it doesn't ever turn off. And so, you know, my biggest thing is making sure that my mind is right so that I can continue this path because I don't want to end up in a position where like, I just throw my hands up. I'm like, I'm done. Like I can't, I, I can't continue this. Right. So I think it's important to have the self-awareness of, of where, where you stand. Like last night, for instance, is a perfect example. Like just last night, I had a bunch of emails I hadn't gotten to because I had calls. I, we literally had calls every hour on the hour yesterday. So I was talking for probably seven hours straight. Remember those well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just. Like, I don't want to answer. talk to anybody. <laughs> I don't want to talk to anyone. And you know what? I, we watched a movie and I went to bed and I'll kick back up on those emails today. Like the, the world's not on fire. No one's dying. I'm not solving cancer here. Like this is just, you know, like, <laughs> I need says to, it's I just need t-shirts. To, They're just like, t-shirts. I, yeah, you have to, you have to have that moment of just understanding that, like, it's okay, it's okay to not respond to that one email. I've had to use that line when I've when I've messed up some really big orders. <laughs> like, you know, uh, everyone's safe. <laughs> That's what's important here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and I think, I think too, you know, we, we've definitely messed up our fair share of orders. Um, and we're dealing with a lot of like interesting pantones across a lot of these teams, which like there are certain teams that like, I just, their pantone, the existence of their pantone makes me want to puke. Like it just, you never know, like the way it prints, the way it's embroidered, the way it just always looks different. And so like really honing in on being okay with the fact that it's not always going to be 1000% perfect. Um, yeah. Like I, I've totally, I've totally been there. I've, I've, I've had a jacket where I was so honed in on how the back looked that I wasn't as focused on that front logo and approved it. And, you know, 
we we had to eat it because that front logo was wrong. Um, Mark, uh, so we, Mark Cuban's an investor, Campus Inc. And so he emailed me and said, can you make us football jerseys? And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. And, uh, we do a lot of the the collegiate football jerseys and, um, you know, there's not anyone really doing in the NIL space. So like our product is obviously not Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, but it's kind of right below there. And so we're pretty happy with it. Working with their brand team was so intense. I mean, the Pantones, the Navies, the Blues, like they overnighted us uh, exactly what their fabrics were. And I was holding my breath through the entire thing. And it was a little frustrating because like, if you're not a decorator, you don't know. Like, mm. You're just like, yeah, that's what the Pantone has to be. Nope, it's slightly off. And as a decorator, you're like... I can't get it any freaking closer. It's just not going to yeah. go and none, no one's going to notice. And some of these brands are like so, 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 so intense that working mm-hmm. with them is really, 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 really tough. So kudos yeah. to you for being able to do that. Yeah. There are, there are some of these Pantones that I'm just like, why? What's the worst like, one? Um, Angel Cities is pretty tough. I'm not going to lie. Um, Angel City is the uh, women's soccer team in LA. Um, they have this pink. Uh, that it's like a gradient some, too. It's like salmon. And, it's, and it sometimes goes bubblegum. Sometimes <laughs> it goes um, salmon. Sometimes it goes like a creamy pink. Like it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's pink. That that pink tone's really tough. Vikings purple is very tough um, because purple can go a million so directions, whether it has you know more red or more blue in it. Um, what's another one? There's another one that we we always this joke Angel about. City logo is this Angel <laughs> City one's awful. I mean, it's like it's cool, but like oof. Even trying to screen print that looks awful. Like oof. Yeah, it's it looks different every every time you do it right like it's just really trying to keep the consistency so like we will have strike offs that we've done previously and we'll use those to then match back yeah. to because it's like you just you're trying to keep things as consistent as possible um but it's difficult it's super difficult to um to nail and there's also this uh this MLS team Nashville SC they have like an electric yellow and I'd, I wouldn't call it navy, but it's like a navy dark purple. So sometimes you do it and it looks purple. And other times you do it and it looks blue. And you're like unsure of like the tone of how, you know. And, what, and what that's where like different. environment could have affected it when it was actually sublimating, right? Like temperature, yeah. all those different things, inks, dyes, all that good stuff. Okay, um worst overnight story of how you had to overnight a shipment i'm sure you have one <laughs> we had a for for background what we had a, a friend who's a big shop in chicago and um they work with a lot they're like you but kind of on the musician uh band space and mm-hmm. they had to charter a private jet fill it up with boxes and ship it to the tour destination to be able to get it to them on time it was like order comes in at 4 p.m needed by 8 p.m type of situation <laughs> that was the wow. only way to do it um, so we, this, this end of like, I would say like October, November, we aired in a ton of product. 
Um, we had to, we had no choice because they, these teams just needed stuff last minute. And that was really the only option. So we had probably seven or eight shipments at once all being aired in. And like, it was just like tracking and tracking. Did it land yet? Did it get cleared? Can we move it? Where's the truck? Where's the, is it getting here? Is it, get, you know, all this stuff. And it's super stressful. Um, I would say the coolest situation, I'm going to go back to the Houston Astros. So we had, they, they wanted this jacket. They had won the world series. They wanted to do this world series jacket for when they, um, the season kicked back up and they wanted it in hand, ready to go before opening a season. And, uh, I said to them, I was like, dude, this is a really fast turn time. Like, I don't know that we can physically make this happen. And then obviously with, when you air stuff in, it's not as quick, like it's quick, but like you still have, it can be, it can sometimes be up to seven days depending. Got a you know, plane ticket, but it's still got to move. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to get down. It's got to get trucked. It's got to, you know, all the things. Um, so we, I, I told them, I was like, I just don't feel confident in this getting to you in t- on time. And the Astros were like, well, where's it coming from? And so I told them the the port and everything. And they're like, that's okay. We'll just send our plane to get it. And I was like, wait, what? And they're like, we have planes. We'll just send one <laughs> of the planes to go get it. So the owner of the Houston Astros also owns Crane, which is one of the largest logistics shipping companies in the world. <laughs> yeah, they're and like, so, well, seven. And so they just picked up the phone and they ordered a jet and they picked it up. (laughs) That'd be great if all our customers could do that. That's incredible. So that was one of those moments where I'm just like, no one can kind of like, you hear stories like that and you're like, if you want it that bad, you'll make it happen. Like the Astros, it wasn't even like, they didn't even blink. It was like, no, let's go pick it up. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, so they, with, they flew to China and, and picked it up from our factory. Wow. That's insane. Um, that's a pretty awesome story. Wow. By the way, uh, uh, just a quick quote from Jim Crane's Wikipedia, because I had to look this up. Um, 1980 borrowed $10,000 from his sister to start an air freight company. And then, you know, fast forward 40 years. The rest and, is history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's... So... In this space is pretty interesting. There's like big acquisitions happening, right? Like Mitchell and Ness was bought, you know, uh, by Fanatics. Like, what's the plan? What's the exit strategy? Are you thinking is about it, that? Is it too early? Do you want? Are you do hearing this? rumors? Where where are you where are you getting this from? Where <laughs> what what sparked this uh, this this question? Are we always on this pursuit? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm I'm just curious. Like, is there a do you, do you think about that stuff often? Um, yeah, is that part I mean, of your plan? I, I think, um, so we've been approached by a few different entities. Um, I think for us, it's really important that whatever deal we end up doing at whatever point that is, it's with the right partner. Um, I'm very much not looking for money. I'm looking for money and strategy, right? So for us to grow and scale to the level we believe we can get to, um, it requires a lot of strategy and a lot of, um, we've done this before. We know what we're doing. We know how to do this. We know how to move. 
And so um, I think that's really what we're honed in on. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, at some point, um, I definitely think having a strategic partner involved in the growing and scaling of the brand will be essential. Um, We've had a lot of conversations, um, but, you know, obviously I'm going to keep tight lipped on, on any of that nonsense. Um, But I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're in a space that you got to play big and you got to scale fast. And so with that, I think comes, you know, with any entrepreneur, right you reach a certain level where now you've gotten it as big as you can get it. And now what's that next stage of growth? Um, And that was just total irony of me asking you just because I like, I I don't know. I just like, I just discovered that. Well, any company that's doing great things and is pushing forward and is making waves is, is catches eyes of the bigger guys. Right. And so, yeah. So congrats to you. I mean, yeah. this, is super, you. this is really super, cool. super cool. Um, and I'm sure people listening to this will be pretty inspired by it. Where can people reach out, follow you? Like, yeah, follow along with the journey. Um, so at, so we have obviously a social media, you know, we're on the TikTok and the, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all of that. Um, my favorite platform is LinkedIn. I'm like just a huge business person. So I love seeing what other brands are doing. I love connecting with people across the world, really like in retail and sports and anything. I love that. Like you can literally connect with anyone, right? Like Mm. you name it, you can connect with them pretty much on LinkedIn, which I think is a really unique opportunity for any entrepreneur, for any business owner. Um, I think it's really something really valuable. Um, so that's probably my favorite platform. So I post on there a lot personally, just because, um, I really love the community there. Um, but yeah, we have an online store so, you know, consumers can shop, um, you know, top teams and pretty much every team across a lot of different leagues. Um, we'll be launching NHL soon on the website. So that's really exciting. Um, but yeah, lot, lots to come from us, lots of collabs in the future. Um, I feel like we're launching a collab every week here. Um, and we're jumping into music. So music is the next mm. Phase. That's what I was thinking. I felt this was applicable, but uh, you know, didn't want to bring it up, Bruce. You just like you're just like yeah. Well, you know, it seems like like it's sort of the next. It's like a band would love to have the unique, you know, design aesthetic and all that to dive in. Well, we just launched a collection with Kiss and the New York Rangers that sold out in ten minutes. So. There's definitely a lot of buzz happening right now. For you, that's awesome and well deserved. Uh, luck is earned, and you've you know you've definitely put all of this stuff in place. Um, no one just gets lucky doing this stuff. You've put this all in place, and super super cool to see this all happening. So I'm uh, I'm excited for y'all, and and I hope we can all stay connected. And it'll be interesting to have you know touch touch base and see where you're at in a couple of years. So this is pretty cool. I love it. Thank cool. you so much for your time and um, having me on. It was awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you, Wit. You guys can follow along her journey there too. Um, and thanks so much, pronouncers, for listening to this episode of the podcast. We'll see you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully that was informative. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to hit the bell for notifications if you enjoyed this video. If you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out, it's really helpful. We love to just be able to see it. That means that we're doing a good job to subscribe, hit the bell for notifications and hit the like button and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.